0: Six years ago, my wife and I um, began to search for a new home here in Lexington. Uh, when I was an intern at Mount Horeb, just graduated from college, the same week I graduated from college at CIU, I uh, accepted a, a job offer here at Mount Horeb, and I bought a house all in one week. A little overwhelming. But I bought a little blue house here in Lexington, and my wife and I got married. This house that I had purchased only had one bathroom. So first of all, it was a bachelor pad. She helped with that, but then when we decided we wanted to kind of have a family and begin to have children, we realized very quickly when I had all the toys in the same tub that I was taking a shower in in the morning, something had to change. So we realized it was time to sell the home and begin to look for a new home. So we started searching all over Lexington and we had a certain criteria and things we were looking for. If anybody's ever been on the house search, you know exactly what this is like. You're looking at every possible opportunity. And my wife at the time was a, was a realtor, and is a realtor, which is a, a wonderful thing. It's, a, it's kind of a double-edged sword, though, because you have access to all kinds of information for homes, but the problem is you have access to all kinds of information for homes. So pretty much all we did for like day in and day out, week after week, was look for homes through all these different places and different, and different things. And so we searched, and we searched, and we searched. And truth be told, we weren't really finding anything that kind of really spoke to us, and so one day my wife called me and said, hey, there's one house that I want you to see. Um, the house itself is kind of rough, but I want you to see the back porch, because if we build, I'm going to build a house with a porch like this. I'm like, okay, cool. So we went and looked at the house, and it has a huge back porch screened in. It was beautiful. I'm like, well, let's take a look inside. So we did. And as soon as we got inside, we encountered uh, a lot of smells, some interesting paint, a little wallpaper. Come on, wallpaper. The backyard was covered in pine straw, which basically means there's no grass growing here. It looked nice, but there's code, no grass, all this stuff. And so we started looking at this home and what a lot of people apparently had seen as as something that wasn't really worth investing in. We saw something different. My wife, in realtor speak, said, hey, it's got a lot of character, which is code for kind of rough. So we decided, though, in looking at this house, we were able to see something in this house that maybe nobody else could see we were able to see in this house where others, you know, saw problems, we saw potential. What other people may have may have seen that this was a lot of work. We saw it was a house that was worth the work. And so we decided to actually buy this home. We bought this home. All the projects we saw as promise. And what we found and what we purchased six years ago was a classic fixer upper a house that had a lot of work to be done, but a house that was worth the work and a little bit of elbow grease, a little bit of investment. We believed that we could have a really, really beautiful home. And truth be told, my wife and I, we, we love the show Fixer Upper. Anybody else in the room? Yeah, just a few of you all. Fixer Upper. Last, last week, Nick did a great job. Pastor Nick did a wonderful job of kicking off this series talking about the most important aspect of our life, the most important thing, which is our foundation. And he basically made the point very, very well that if, if Jesus Christ is not the foundation of our lives, you can do all the cosmetic work that you want to do. And at some point in time, it'll still come crashing down. Jesus is the foundation, and a life built on Jesus is a life that will last. In this show, Fixer Upper, this is the one that Jen and I really love. We don't have like a show necessarily, but as close as we have, this is it, Fixer Upper. Our favorite part of the show, though, is to watch these couples go and see these homes that Chip and Joanna have picked out for them to see. And they walk through all the houses from room to room, talk about all the opportunity, talk about all the things that they see. And if you ever watch Joanna in the show, she has a gift, does she not? It's amazing to watch her walk through these rooms. She's like, listen, we're going to remove everything. Well, actually, we're going to keep this wall, just this one wall. Everything else has got to go. And she talks about everything that's going to be removed. All things are going to be taken out, but it's going to be beautiful. Just trust me. It'll be wonderful. And sure enough, when you watch her, you get really clear sense. This is what she's made for. And before you know it, the house is covered in shiplap. It's decorated like Pier 1, and voila, it's a beautiful place. It kind of makes me sick. She has that kind of ability. But she's really good at what she does. And what I've found in my life personally, what I have seen in my life, 12 years here at this church and in ministry, is that God has the same kind of knack for seeing people who have incredible potential, even though they can't see it themselves. God has an amazing ability to be able to see into someone's life and see what could possibly be even before it's there. And so what I've seen in my life personally and the lives of people around me is I've seen addicts who have had no hope for their life be absolutely transformed. And people who have a broken relationship or a divorce and and they come back to life. And students who have no self-esteem find themselves hearts that are full of bitterness and unforgiveness. Individuals who have no direction. I've seen God work in all these kinds of ways and do great work. But there's one common factor. Every single one of those individuals that I've talked about, they couldn't see it in themselves. And a lot of times the people who are around them can't see it in them as well. But God always sees it. Because here's what I know. God can spot a good fixer upper. And here's what I know from my own experience. He does really great work. He does really great work. You see, when people, when they're trying to determine what house you're going to buy within the show or even personally in your life, there are kind of two things that we go by. The first one is this budget kind of budget. Do I have, what can I afford? And then secondly, it's the search criteria. What things do I have to have to make this house work? Or what can I do to this house to make this house work? You know the good news about God? He is not constrained by either one of these things. There's no budgetary constraints for God. God can do whatever he wants to do within the life of an individual. Nothing constrains him. And the great thing about the search criteria, here's the criteria. Are you human? Good. Then God can do work in you. Where we're constrained and we're trying to find a fixer up, or God is not constrained in any kind of way. He's always on the lookout for a life that can be remade, a life that can be renovated. And I've seen him do it, and it's absolutely miraculous. This is our God. God has this ability to be able to see past who we are and to be able to see what we could be. He has the ability to see past who we are right now and be able to see exactly who we could become with the work within, his, within our lives. The day we purchased our home, we walked into the house. I was honestly immediately overwhelmed by the work that had to be done. I walked into the living room, and the carpet in the living room was actually some kind of outdoor carpet. It was very rough. It was awful. And I thought, what am I going to do with this? Then I walked to this room, and I thought, what am I going to do with this? And And before I knew it, it was every room had to have something done to it. It was just amazing. And so the first day of work, we had to get this done very quickly. So my dad and I walked into our master bathroom and began to tear out our vanity. And if you know the Millers, Phil Miller or Trevor Miller, we have this kind of wonderful ability to not really think through what we're doing as we're doing it. So I know no one can relate to this. So we walked into the bathroom and we're tearing out the vanity. And in my head, I thought, we should turn off the water. And in my dad's head, he thought, we should turn off the water. But then we thought, we're already working. Let's just keep going. So we said to one another, be very careful as you do this. Don't hit the water line. And guess what? We hit the water line. And instantly, water started shooting everywhere in the bathroom. And my dad and I ran around the yard like ants, because we didn't actually take time to find where the water shutoff was. So we had to go into the house and cut the line to be able to find it. It was awful. And so all the work that had to be done, we compounded it by the work that we were doing ourselves. And so from the get-go, we were so overwhelmed by what had to be done in this home. But here's the thing. Even as I stood there in all these rooms, even as I walked into the bathroom and saw inches of water that I had placed there, I knew... I knew that there was something that could take place within this home that would make it wonderful. And even when we look at our lives and we see all the work that needs to be done, and too often we get so overwhelmed by where we exist within our life, whatever it might be, and we get so overwhelmed that our hearts begin to question the fact, can anything be done with me? Here's the good news. Even when you can't see it, God can. Even when you can't see what could take place, God can. There's a story within Scripture where Jesus is heading from a place called Judea to a place called Galilee. And he's going to have an encounter with somebody that's extremely important within Scripture. And I think we can learn from this morning. It happens in John chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. Here's what the Bible says. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. The Bible says he had to go through Samaria, which is not, in fact, true. In fact, the quickest way to get from Judea to Galilee was to go directly through Samaria. But as you may know, if you've read the Bible ever before, the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. So almost every single Jew, if they were going to travel this particular way, they would never go through Samaria. They would always go through a place called Perea, and they would go around Samaria to avoid it altogether to make sure they didn't come in contact with the hated enemy, the Samaritans. There's a ton of history here, a lot of disagreement, a lot of strife, a lot of fighting, and so because of this, almost every single Jew would avoid this place completely, but the Bible says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. So yes, the quickest route is through this particular way, through Samaria, but it's not the only route. There was other ways to go, but Jesus had to go through here. And we find out very quickly it's because Jesus has an appointment. He's going to meet up with somebody. There's going to be a conversation, there's going to be a discussion. And it happens in John chapter 4, verse 5 through 7, when it says this. So Jesus, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? So Jesus comes to this town. He sits down at a well. This particular well was extremely important to this particular area. This well was dug by a man named Jacob, a patriarch of the Hebrew faith. He had put this well here, and this well was a place where people could come and draw water in a desert area. Very, very arid. And so, of course, when Jesus ends up here, the Bible says that he was thirsty. He's tired from his long trip, and so he sits down at the well. When all of a sudden, Jesus' noon appointment shows up. His noon appointment walks up. And this rendezvous that Jesus has with this woman is is extremely shocking in many different ways. Number one, it was shocking because the woman's response to Jesus when he sits down and he says, please give me a drink, she says, who are you to ask me for a drink? You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. This interaction should never have taken place in the first place because Jesus was Jewish. Jewish. This woman was a Samaritan. They were hated enemies. The fact that they would sit down at the same well would have been something that people would have really frowned upon. But Jesus comes and he sits down anyway. And he speaks to this woman who is completely different from him in every single kind of way. Everyone knew this is something that you do not do. You don't go through Samaria and you certainly don't talk to a Samaritan. And here's Jesus sitting down to have a discussion with this woman. Number two, he's a man and she's a woman. Culturally, this was a huge taboo. You would never speak to a woman in public like this. And here's Jesus having a conversation with this woman, breaking this particular barrier, this, this cultural taboo. And third, you find out in this discussion, this woman has all kinds of skeletons in her closet, all kinds of moral, moral failures, all kinds of things that she's been holding close to her heart because she's messed up in a lot of ways. And Jesus is still talking to her. You know, as Jesus breaks all these cultural barriers, he's demonstrating a really important point about Jesus' heart attitude towards people. He believes that there is no one, not one person who is a lost cause. Please hear me this morning. Jesus believes there is no one who is a lost cause. If you've ever searched for a house, chances are you've gone into different homes and you've opened the door and you've walked in and maybe some of you, you've walked in the front door and you're like, not a chance. And you walk right out. Or some of you drive through the neighborhood and you're like, I don't think so. Not doing this. We find all kinds of reasons to not purchase a home to fix it up. Way too much work. Over my budget. Not what I'm looking for. But Jesus, he has none of this. Jesus breaks down every single cultural barrier to have a discussion with this woman. And here's why. He's 100% focused on renovating her life for doing something within her life. He breaks the cultural barrier of race. He breaks the cultural barrier of gender. He breaks the cultural barrier of, of bankrupt morality. No matter who you are this morning, no matter where you come from this morning, Jesus will come to meet you. Jesus will come to you. And so Jesus sees something in this woman that she couldn't see herself. Jesus sees something in this woman that, that no one else could see. And there's some pretty clear indications that this woman's life needs to be renovated. And they're kind of given to us within the passage. First and foremost, the woman has come to the well at what time? Noon. This is not the normal time for an ancient Near Eastern woman to come to a well to gather water for a couple reasons. Number one, by noon, the water has gotten warm. It's not cool anymore from the evening. Not only that, but most women would go in the morning to get water to be able to be prepared for the day, to, to wash clothing or to cook food or whatever it might be. And she's showing up here at noon. During the heat of the day, and she's there all by herself, except for Jesus. She's showing up here because she wants to stay away from the crowds. She wants to avoid people at all costs. Does that sound familiar to anyone in the room? She's ashamed. She's an exile. She's a pariah. She's been labeled. And surely she feels worthless. And so instead of going when every other woman would go to the well, she goes by herself at noon and Jesus meets her here. And immediately the conversation gets changed because Jesus steers the conversation away from his physical thirst and begins to ask her questions about a water that's different than what she can gain from this particular well. Jesus says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would recognize that I could give you different water, living water. Though you come here every single day to have to gather water from this well, even though it comes from Jacob, even though it's so important to this area, the water that I offer you is so much more important. It's better than this well. It's better than Jacob. And Jesus explains that he's offering a new life. He's offering a renovated life. And clearly, Jesus wants to have this discussion with her. And lastly, Jesus, rather poignantly, points out this woman has had five different husbands. And the man that she's living with now is not her husband at all. She's been burning through these relationship after relationship after relationship. And now she's on her sixth. And just in this discussion within the scripture, Jesus sees something in the woman that that she can't see herself. Jesus recognizes her great need. He recognizes that she is broken. That she's hurt. She's labeled. And she's been searching for something and, and that something has not quite been found yet. And what's most interesting to me is when Jesus brings up this relational roller coaster that she's been on, she changes the subject so quickly. Here's what she says in John chapter 4, verse 19 to 25. Sir, the woman said, I see that you're a prophet. I see, sir, that you have uh, kind of looked into my life and know things that you shouldn't know, so clearly you must be a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped here on this mountain, but Jews claim that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, he replied, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. When he comes he will explain everything to us. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. You see, Jesus, in his discussion, cuts right to the chase. To Jesus, this is an appointment that he could not be late for. This is an appointment that he wanted to come. He wanted to connect with this woman. But the topic that he brings up in discussion clearly is a place of contention because the woman changes the, the topic very, very quickly. You see, Jesus gets personal in what she do. She gets religious. Jesus gets personal, and she gets religious. This is a tactic of a fixer-upper. Here's how I know why. I've employed this tactic almost in my entire life. I've had many people who have loved me enough and cared about me enough in my life to be able to look into my life and ask tough questions. I've had people in my life who have who've been willing to point out certain things within my life, but guess what I do every single time? When it got uncomfortable like that, talking about some things I didn't really want to talk about they were a little too personal a little too painful, a little too difficult, I would almost instantly start talking about my church attendance, my Bible study, my attendance on the mission trip, all the good things that I've done. It's so much easier to talk about that than it is to talk about this. And even in this story, when Jesus gets personal with this woman, talking about her actual activity, her actual life, she throws up a smoke screen. She's trying to cover up her mess with religious activity. How often do we do this? And unfortunately, I'm afraid within the church, we teach people to do this. Listen, smile always. Look good always. Make sure you have it all together. Clearly, this woman does not have it all together. And clearly, Jesus does not care. He's interested in speaking to her about her life. He's interested in renovating her life. And if you pay attention to the final point that she makes here after this religious discussion about who worships where... After coming to the well alone for who knows how long, after avoiding conversation with other people for who knows how long within her history, after having five husbands and now a new man that she's living with is not her husband, she's banking on one day this Messiah is going to show up. And when he does, everything is going to change. When the Messiah comes, he's going to come. He's going to explain all this to us. She's banking on this one fact. You see, she has developed what I would call a one-day mentality. One day. Like, one day when this thing happens, then things will be okay. One day when this takes place, then my life will be put back right. One day when the Messiah comes, he'll explain all of this to us. And too often we have the same kind of mentality within our life, too. When we've not found the thing that we're looking for, when we're still looking for significance and meaning in our life, and we're still wrestling with shame for whatever reason, we develop a one-day mentality. And here's how you know you have that mentality. You say things like this within your head. Maybe not out loud, but in your head and your heart, you say, One day when I get that job, things will be good. One day when we get that house, things will be, things will be great. Things will improve. One day when I, when I get the raise. One day when I lose the weight. One day when my marriage is fixed. One day when my kid finally comes to their senses. Amen we develop this kind of mentality and it's a one day mentality and when we do this we are not relying on Jesus to be the change agent within our lives we're relying on circumstances to change our lives and the problem is if this is the case it will always be one day one day just over the hill just around the bend one day things will be better here's how I know this is faulty I've had this mentality in my life too Probably every single one of us in this room, we have some kind of project in our house that's been meaning to be done for a long, long time. Wives, please don't jab anybody in the seat next to you. <laughs> Too late. To be honest, in my, in my, at my home, I have a, a carport that we built a couple of years ago. For the past year and a half, it's needed to be painted. In, in fact, it's needed to be caulked and painted. Both things I hate with all of my heart. And so every time I walk out of my house, every time that I come home and I look at that thing, guess what I think? One day. One day when that finally gets finished, things are going to be finally put back right right in my house. We'll be able to move on and do something else. And and one day my wife will not make a comment about it every single time that we walk outside. One day when this happens, when this project is done, things will be good. But here's the problem. I know without a shadow of a doubt when that thing gets done, there'll be another thing that'll be a one-day mentality. When this is done, there's always something else and something else and something else And the funny thing is, when we trick ourselves into believing that when when this particular thing is done, then things will be good, and when the circumstances change, things will be good, the problem is, there's always another day. There's always something else. And so it might be a project in our physical life, but it may be something in our heart, in our lives as well. I think every single one of us, we have certain places and certain projects within our life that we've wanted something to be done about for a very, very long time. It's a certain struggle. It's a a certain vice, a certain sin that I just seem to be coming back to and back to. A certain circumstances that I can't seem to fix on my own. And too often we fixate on these things and we think, man, if this would just change, then things would be good. If this would just change, then my life could finally be what I want it to be. But I love the way Jesus answers what she says here. She says, one day. When the Messiah comes, he'll explain all this to to us. He'll explain all, he'll make all things right. And here's what Jesus says. I am he. I am he. This Messiah that you have been waiting for, the hope that you're longing for, everything that you're searching for is standing right in front of you. The ability and the opportunity for a renovated life is standing right in front of you. The healing for your brokenness, the fulfillment that you've tried to find, it is here, and it is available. And Jesus steals the symbol of her coming with this pot to grab water from this well, and he begins to show her that you've been coming back to this well over and over and over again. And some of us in this room, we've been going back to a well that's been dry for a long time, hoping that it's going to make us feel fulfilled hoping that it's going to be the search that we're looking for. And every single time that we come back to it once again, it's this relationship, it's this sin, it's this vice, it's this addiction, and we go back to it and back to it and back to it. And every time we do, we're left emptier than before. I believe Jesus would stand in front of us and say the same thing. Whatever you are searching for, whatever you're looking for, the thing that you need more than anything is standing right in front of you. Jesus says, I am he. I am the Messiah. I'm a deeper well. I'm a better well than even the well dug by Jacob. I can quench every thirst within your life. I can fill you to overflowing. I can renovate your life. This is the message that Jesus gives to this woman. And I believe Jesus gives to us this morning. And as Jesus has this discussion, something dramatic takes place. In this moment, this woman learns two things. Number one, Jesus knows every single thing about her. I mean, he mentions only one thing that's very, very personal, but he easily could have gone through a litany of other things. The things that have caused her to isolate herself from other people, the things that have caused her to come and visit this well in the heat of the day, day in and day out. Jesus knows why. He knows everything. And secondly, he loves her still. He knows everything about her, and he loves her still. You see, he's come to this well at noon to meet her because he loves her. He's broken every cultural taboo imaginable because he loves her. He's offered her living water, significance, meaning, and dignity because he loves her. Do not miss the significance of this this morning, friends. God knows everything about you. He knows the cracks in the foundation. He knows the chipping paint. He's concerned about the sagging floors. He knows about everything that's going on within your life. And the temptation that we have is the same temptation she has to isolate ourselves and just keep away from everybody else and pretend like everything's fine. But you can't fool Jesus. He knows everything about your life. But guess what? He loves you still. He loves you still. He will break any barrier. He'll go to any place. He will go to any person to offer a renovated life, to offer real, true water that you don't have to go to every single day. He will fill you to overflowing. He shows her such kindness. He shows her such patience. And he does it because he knows that it's time for a renovation within her life. Romans says it this way, better than I could ever say it. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says it this way. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, talking about God, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to what? Repentance. The kindness, the grace, the mercy, the love of God is not given to us that we might remain in our broken state. It is given to us that we might be renovated that our lives might be changed, that we might begin the process of repentance. Within the show Fixer Upper, there's this kind of uh, phrase that's used over and over and over again. It's kind of taken on a life of its own, similar to shiplap. It's hashtag demo day. Y'all ever seen the show before? Demo day. In fact, demo day is the most important day of the entire process. What you'll find is that if you watch the show, the first part has a certain amount of time given to it. The last part, the re- reveal, has a certain amount of time given to it. And in between... Those two things, the majority of the show is given to the actual demolition of what takes place within the home. The majority of each episode is actually talking about the removal of the old. So you have these load-bearing walls, these cabinets, this carpet, this wallpaper. And in order to see the transformation, in order to have the great big reveal at the very end, you first have to go through the process of renovation. It's like the bathroom that was in our home when we bought it. I want to show you a picture of our bathroom beforehand maybe bingo so this is the bathroom now it looks nice but let me just point out a couple of things this is a normal standard tub made to look like a luxurious garden tub with pink tile and this concrete under this tile is about 50 inches thick uh, everything in this room very dark very kind of dank and, we, and when we got in here we were like something's got to change here like this this is not going to work and the lovely pink tile it's nice don't you think But we knew, still underneath it all, that something could happen. Something beautiful could take place. But first, here's the second picture. Here's what had to take place first. Gone. can't tell you the amount of work this took to get all this out, all the way down to the studs. First, we had to remove everything to be able to be ready for something new to come in. Scripture says it this way. For any woman or any man who's found in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. In order for newness to come, first the old has to go. You see, at the core of our faith is the confidence that if we place our faith, our hope, and our trust in Jesus Christ, we can be made new. Let me say that again. We can be made new. Not just polished up, not just brushed off, but absolutely 100% new. It's the audacious belief that we can actually change with the work of Jesus within our life. But first, the old's got to go. And what I love about Jesus, when he comes to us, he does not come to us with crowbars and hammers. When Jesus comes for Demo Day, here's how he does it, with grace and mercy and truth. To be able to show us the places that need to be removed and the things that have to come out. And who knows, when you start doing a renovation of some kind, as you begin to dig in, there's other things that you find you didn't know about, amen? There's the rotten wood that you didn't see underneath everything else. And this support that's struggling, but you didn't see it until you got under everything. In every single one of our lives, I believe when we allow the spirit of God to work in our life, he will reveal things in our life that need to be worked on, that need to be renovated, that have to be removed. And if you remain, if you let it stay there, it'll be a problem someday in the future. So allowing Jesus into our life to come in to search us and to know us is the way that things change. He takes out the old and he brings in the new. Let me show you the last picture. So here's our bathroom now. Nice. A long way from the pink tile. An actual garden tub. And I would love to say this transformation took place overnight. It was so quick, just boom, snap of the fingers, done. It doesn't. It takes a lot of hard work. And the truth is with our lives as well, man, God's renovation process in our life is gonna take time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's going to take some wrestling and some struggle. It's going, to, it's going to take allowing God into every aspect, every corner, every room of our life to be able to do work. In fact, it's a lifetime process. Here's what the scriptures tell us as well. That he who began a good work in you, he will continue it until completion. God's at work. This is not some Oprah self-help strategy. If you just do this and this and this, then things will be good. Here's how we remove the stuff and put the... This is not how this works. This is a submission to God. You allow him in. Truth be told, this renovation in our home could never have happened aside from a wonderful couple here in this church who are our contractors. I mean, literally nothing would have happened aside from them coming in and saying, Okay, listen, we will help you with this. And you know, Within our life, as we, as we expect God to come in and do work within our life, we need people around us for accountability, for encouragement as we go through. It's a lifetime process. In this story, when the disciples come back from town and getting food, they find Jesus still at the well talking to this woman. And when they come up to see Jesus still talking to this woman, immediately the transformation takes place. This woman runs back to the town that she's come from, and the Bible says that she leaves her jar there at the well. The very thing that she came for, guess what? She doesn't need it anymore. She leaves it there, and she runs back to town. The people she has avoided for who knows how long, the people she's isolated herself from for who knows how long, now, because of this discussion with Jesus, she goes back to have a discussion with them. And when she gets back to town, here's what she says. Come and meet a man who's known everything about me. How could that possibly be good news? She says, good news. I've met someone who knows everything about me. Potentially, this is the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for. And the Bible says that people from the town come out to find him, to come out to see what she's seen and hear what she's heard. You see, before this took place, before she met Jesus, she was motivated by shame, and now she is motivated by grace. Here's what I know. Within my life, within this story, renovations should be shared. Renovations should be shared. When we have folks over to our house now, one of our favorite things to do is to pull out this album. We sit on the table in front of everyone. Hey, look, come check this out. See the room you're standing in now? This is what it looked like. See this part of the house? This is what it looked like before. And look at it now. I'm so thankful in my life to be able to talk to people and say, listen, look at what I was like before. This was what my life was like. And so many things that I wanted to defend and so many things that that culture would tell me was okay, but I knew was not okay. That had to be removed from my life so God could bring in the new things into my life. And it's taken my entire life to get to the point where I'm at now, and the good news is I'm not done yet. So for every single one of us in this morning, here's the good news. Here's what I want to share with you. God's done a great work in my life. God's done a great work in many lives that are sitting here this morning, and God could do a great work in your life as well. The audacious belief as believers is that we know that God can come into our life and transform who we are because he can see who we are before we're actually that. He can spot a fixer-upper, and he does wonderful work. And so this morning, maybe, maybe you've recognized that, that we have found what we've been waiting for, what we've been longing for in the person of Jesus Christ. Or maybe this morning, God's been doing work in your life, but you've, been, you've neglected to share this with other people for whatever reason. I, I want to do something a little bit um, bold this morning. I want to invite you in just a moment to just stand where you're, where you're seated. And I'm going to ask you to stand because I want to pray for you this morning. I'm not so naive to believe that the things that we've talked about are are simple things to do. I know this is painful. I know this is a difficult process. Renovations are never easy. But I know they're necessary. I've seen the benefit of them. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you just to be bold if you feel like in your life you want to say to everyone in this room and to Jesus Christ most importantly that you're welcoming him into your life to do some work to change some things I would invite you just to stand right now just boldly don't feel pressure for this but my hope and my belief is that when we stand before God and say I'm going to submit to you God to come in and do a great work in my life it's not something he doesn't want to do Is something he wants to do. So I want to pray for us this morning. I'm going to ask that God would do a great work in us. And that God would use us to be an example to those around us. To share the renovations of our life. That it might give hope to those who are hurting. Those who are full of shame. Those who are struggling through life. To see that God can do a great work in theirs. Let's pray together. Father God. First, I just want to thank you that you saw something in me, even when I couldn't see it myself. I know there were people in my life that were questioning the ability for me to become the person that God wanted me to be, but God, I thank you that you never questioned it, that you knew it, God. So for every person here this morning, God, who has been bold enough to stand, to tell you, God, they want you to work in their life, would you do it this morning, Jesus? Would you start a great work in their life that won't end today or tomorrow, that will carry on until completion? You're faithful like that, God. And we're thankful for that. And God, I pray specifically for every person in this room who's allowed you to work on their life, God, I pray that they would be so bold to share it with people around them, recognizing that's the way lives get changed. That's the way people find hope, especially in a world that is so so lacking hope. So Father, would you use us today as we leave this place? Would you make us the people that you want us to be? Would you help us to believe and see the beauty that lies within and I pray, God, you would do whatever it takes to pull it out. We thank you for your grace toward this woman in this story, and we're thankful for your grace and your mercy towards us. Lord, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together this morning. Whatever God has begun in your heart this morning, let's continue on as we sing to him, as we hear from him.